Do you want to have impact and purpose without disrupting your life or leaving your day job? Podcasting may be the perfect fit for you, your experience, and your voice. Sign up for my upcoming free course where you will learn how to start podcasting using your unique voice, create a platform in four weeks, get access to resources, and more. Go to www.disruptingbalance.com slash podu. That's P-O-D-U to sign up now. That's exactly what we need to do. And we have to do this throughout our life. It's not just a one-time thing. You have to take the time to examine your circle or just like you said, check your circle. And I'm grateful because even though I've had to prune and let some people go, the core has not changed. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Today's guest is Danielle Jones. She is a woman defined by her ability to get back up and start again. As the oldest of five children, Danielle's journey didn't start as she expected. In fact, she dropped out of college on her first try, but was inspired to return after a conversation with a 70-year-old woman who was in college pursuing her undergraduate degree and making plans to pursue her advanced degree. And as her life unfolded and opportunities came her way, Danielle faced more challenges in the ending of a five-year relationship and her inability to land the right job. But Danielle wasn't deterred as she turned to her faith to help her rebuild and rediscover her authentic voice and purpose. Danielle assigns and aligns the people in her life and is now creating a life that she wants. She serves as a higher education specialist, a voter registration activist, and is now running for political office in her New Jersey town. You can find Danielle on Instagram at EOFDJones. You can also get more information in the show notes. So welcome to the show, Danielle. I am so glad we're able to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to all the wonderful gems and news that you have to share from your life. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited and I'm so honored to be here. I really am. Yes, I'm so glad. So we can jump right in with the first question, and that is, what is your story? Oh, dear. Well, (laughs) my story does not have that traditional linear path. I recently was thinking about it. I was sharing it with other students I've been working with. And for me, you know, I'm the oldest of five children and I went to college, but my first time around, I didn't do well. So I actually dropped out of college, but I don't want people to feel that just because they hit a setback, that that's the end and that defines who they are because I did go back to college. 
and I graduated with my associate's degree. Then I earned my bachelor's degree, summa cum laude, and now I'm working my master's degree. So just because things don't work out the way you plan does not mean that is the end of your story. So who I am today, I serve in ministry. I work in higher education at my alma mater. I am a board member and I hold two positions on the board for the EOF Professional Association of New Jersey. I'm a graduate student and I'm also running for council in my hometown in Monmouth County, New Jersey. So yes, my plate is full. I do a lot, but I love what I do. But I'm also confident that I'm doing the work that I'm called to do. So I didn't get there to this place in the traditional sense, but I just kept moving forward. And whenever there was an opportunity, I took advantage of it. And I, looking back, I realized that everything was lining up. I just wasn't paying attention. So, so that's why I just share with people like, this is just my journey. And I am super grateful for it. I wouldn't have chosen it, but I wouldn't change a thing. I absolutely understand. And you always like when you first you come out of high school or whatever that transition point is into adulthood, you think you've got it all figured out. And like you said, the plan doesn't always go or unfold the way you think it should, which is kind of an eye opening experience. So let's go back a little bit in your story. And you talked about the point where you dropped out and you went back to school. What was that impetus? What was the thought process for you in deciding and knowing that you were going to go back to school and do it right this time? When I went back to school, I really wasn't very confident because when I signed myself out of school, my GPA was down the toilet and I had gone through some personal trauma that really shook me to my core. And I was just busy working and just trying to figure out what's going to be my next step. And as I mentioned, I'm the oldest of five children. Right when I decided to go back to school, the second oldest, she was just graduating with her bachelor's degree and she did supremely well. While I was working at my full-time job at that point, one of my first customers was a 78-year-old woman. I remember because she drove her nice little Cadillac and her little dog, but she was going back to school at Monmouth University, working on her master's degree. Really? And I was just like, what? And I really enjoyed talking to her. She was just such a gem. And she said, I'm not done. I'm getting my doctor after I finish my master's. And I said, you know what? If she could get her master's degree at 78 years old, what is stopping me? So that was my motivation to go back to school. My grandfather, God rest his soul, he was an educator. He taught math and as well as um, automotive technology. And he actually went back to school at a later age and he got his bachelor's degree at age 36. And I would talk to him all the time. And I remember right before I started school again, he's like, you know what, you're ready. I was like, are you sure about that? He's like, I'm positive. I know you're ready. And at first, when I went back to school, I just wanted, I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to prove him wrong. And eventually I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. 
in my first semester back at community college at a 4.0 GPA. Wow. Good for you. So when we spoke earlier, you talked about the pain and purpose in rebuilding, right? Mm -hmm. After a traumatic experience in your own life. And when I listen to your story about going back to school, you can hear some components of rebuilding in that story. So I, I want to know, what did you learn in that experience in rebuilding and going back to school that helped you in these later traumatic experiences where you had to continue to rebuild? There's a lot I learned. And the thing that I had to learn and also remind myself throughout my life is that rebuilding the prefix re means to start again. It doesn't mean that it's over, it's done. It doesn't mean that if you make a mistake or you don't succeed at something that you are a failure and you're not going to f- succeed in the future. And that was something that I really had to learn and embrace. But even as I have gotten older and went through other experiences in my life, other painful experiences in my life, I had to remind myself of that. And especially around the time when I went back to school, I really started to redevelop and strengthen my relationship with Christ. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs. It says, the righteous may fall down seven times, but gets back up. And it really stuck home with me because even though you may stumble and make mistakes multiple times throughout your life, the key is you got to get back up. And when you get back up, you got to learn from what happened. You may, it may take some time getting back up again. You may have some bumps and bruises when you get back up, but the key is you're getting back up again. And I also had to learn not to stay down too long. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to lick your wounds, but you can't stay down too long. And those are some of the things I had to learn in my journey of rebuilding because I had to rebuild my confidence in being a a successful student or a scholar. Because when I left school, I had no confidence or thought I could do it. Now I do, but I had to learn that through my rebuilding process. And so, yeah, that's good. So when you're in that moment or that state of kind of the transition where you know you're in the rebuilding process, what goes on with you emotionally? What are your patterns of behavior? And then how do you, you know, help yourself to overcome some of those challenges in the rebuild? Well, one of the things I do, and I make sure I do that, is I make sure I am praying, I'm meditating, and I also watch the company I keep. It's so important to have the right people to support you, to encourage you, to build you up, but also hold you accountable. And that was something I wish I knew at a younger age, but as I got older, and especially as I talked to my students, especially my female students, I, t- I keep reminding them, and this is something that I still do to this day, I'm constantly looking at who who's in my inner circle, who's in 
my networks of, you know, connections. And it's so important because if you don't have the right people around you, you won't be able to continue your rebuilding because they may say, oh, what are you doing that for? That's not important. Or they may, you know, tease you or make fun of you or even some hurtful things as saying, you're not, you're not that smart. Why are you trying this or whatever? Whatever. And the the problem is, is especially when you're around the wrong people, they know what your insecurities are and they will take advantage and keep touching on those insecurities and weaknesses Mm -hmm. that you may have. And, but the right people recognize your weaknesses, but they still celebrate your strengths. And I had to learn very quickly, especially when I went back to school and being a, a non-traditional returning student, I had to make sure I had the right people in my ear and understanding that my priorities are different. And yeah, I may not be able to go out or hang out with you or go on these vacations or whatever, but y'all understand what I'm trying to accomplish and you guys still believe and support me. And even when I want to give up, you guys won't let me do so. So that is one very important thing throughout my adult life is making sure I have the right support system. And that's one of the things I am so grateful and blessed because I know without a shadow of a doubt, I have a wonderful full support system, family members, friends, coworkers, even people that, you know, only were in my life for a season. They were the right people I needed at that time. So I'm super grateful for that. So one thing I would definitely encourage people is to make sure, regardless of what season you're in, especially if you're rebuilding, have the right support system around you. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, I just posted something similar on one of my channels, which was about check your circle. If you're not being encouraged, then you may need to basically shift Mm -hmm. and figure out some other folks to come in your circle. So did you find then that when you develop this insight to start assessing the people around you, did you then find that that opened up kind of a gateway for you to receive your calling? And if so, let's talk about that calling. Yes. One of the things I had to learn, I really have learned the gift of this over the past few years is the gift of authenticity. And when I say the gift of authenticity, it's knowing who you are, knowing what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what motivates you, what energizes you, what stresses you out. And being able to appreciate and accept who I am and love myself for the good, the bad, and the indifferent. I felt like I gained this, I guess you want to call it a superpower. And when you're around the right people, they celebrate and honor it. And that really opened up the doors for me to walk into the path that I'm doing right now in terms of my academics, my personal life, and my professional life. There's a really great book that just came out this year that I've been reading. It's all about managing your relationships. And the author says you have to assign and align the people in your life. And I remember that hit home for me because 
that's exactly what we need to do. And we have to do this throughout our life. It's not just a one-time thing. You have to take the time to examine your circle or just like you said, check your circle. And I'm grateful because even though I've had to prune and let some people go, the core has not changed. And I'm so grateful for that. And if it wasn't for that core, we wouldn't be celebrating all the victories that I have if it wasn't for them, but also encouraged me to get back to finding who I was and being authentic to who I am. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about that assigning and aligning the people in your life, which is a very good statement or phrase. But what about the fear factor, right? Let's just say in your experience, you had someone in your circle and the relationship was what it was or the dynamic of the relationship. And then it didn't end the way you thought, but then you have to kind of revisit and try it again, whether it's a best friend or a significant other. Isn't there a level of fear in that? And then how do you deal with that? Lord, is there a fear? (laughs) (laughs) There is such a fear, but that's where you have to, one, know who you are and you have to be willing to examine and figure out where those roots of fear come from. I will be transparent. I was engaged five years ago and I was the one that actually ended the relationship. And the idea of trying to get into another romantic relationship was terrifying. And I definitely let my fear and anxieties and also some of my insecurities build up these walls. And I really did not look into or even court the idea of dating. And then it wasn't until earlier this year, I realized during my prayer and meditation time that yes, walls block out the bad things, but they block out good things. Mm. So I had to really talk and I do see a therapist and my therapist is amazing. We had to really do the work. Where were these roots of insecurity and fear coming from? And for me, I had to really dig down and do the work. And I realized I just didn't want to be hurt again. And I realized I didn't want to be hurt again is because I wasn't being my authentic self when I was in my last relationship. And if I was my authentic self, would that person accept me? That's where the fear came from. So I can't say I have all the answers, but I definitely have done the work. And now I'm approaching possibly dating and pursuing a romantic relationship again with a different perspective. I'm not letting fear drive me or fear run the shell. Yes, there's still fear and some insecurity, but I don't let it paralyze me. If anything, I use them like, okay, Danielle, let's sit down and think about it. Or let's take a step back. Are you rushing into things? Are you trying to overcompensate or is there something, is there an actual wet red flag that you need to be paying attention to? So definitely fear does kind of get in the way, but I have to make sure that I don't let it paralyze me or stop me from pursuing things. 
And that's just one example. I definitely was experiencing fear and insecurity when I transitioned into my current career. I definitely experienced fear and insecurity, even doing my rebuilding processes of going back to school, learning who I was and regaining my self-confidence and my strength back. There's always this fear that kind of follows and lurks behind you, but you have to find your own way to kind of keep it quiet. You have to find out your way to, as my life coach said, because I did see a life coach a, a year ago, shut the gremlin down. It's not to say the gremlin won't ever go away. It will, won't go away because that gremlin may still be around, but they can be quiet. And then when they do speak into your ear, you, you can be like, okay, let's address this now because you're not going to run the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about when we spoke and you talked about this sense that God was orchestrating the things in your life and you were more aware of it at a certain point in 2020. Mm-hmm. And when I think about God orchestrating your life and that awareness, it also reminds me of this feeling of certainty. Like, you know, that, you know, that, you know, Mm -hmm. right. And with that certainty, how does that play into your obedience to the calling, to what God is asking you to do, to being subservient to God in prayer? Tell me how all of that works together with that, that orchestration and that certainty. And then how that moves forward in your life. Well, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. And for me, I had to learn that it's not about what I want. It's what about what he wants to do through me. And I always had these plans like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish by this. And by this age, I'm going to have this, that, and that, and that. And when those ages hit, and I didn't hit those those goals or that platform that I was searching, I, I was really discouraged. And I will not sugarcoat it. I went through periods of depression and just beating myself up. So I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? Because I am the type of person where I'm like, if there's a problem, tell me what the problem is so I can fix it. Because I don't like feeling like I'm being dysfunctional or not working ac- according to my talents or my gifts or abilities. I don't like it when something is not working. I like it when things work together. So when things aren't going according to plan, tell me what's going on so I can fix it. And then one day I was talking to my best friend and I was really going through it. And she was talking to me and she said, you have to understand it's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. And she shared this scripture with me. And I, I also definitely use this when it came to making the decision to really change careers and pursue the path that I'm currently on. It's the book of First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, mm-hmm. obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of the rams. 
And I was just like, wow, it really touched me and made an impact on me because I could give all these offerings and I'm saying, I'm doing all these wonderful things, but God was like, I want you to listen to me. I want you to obey what I tell you to do. I want you to take heed of the directions I give you and move with it. I was just like, oh, that's really what he wanted. So when it came to this year, especially with deciding to run for public office, I had gotten to the point where I got frustrated because I had been applying for different job opportunities and different things like that. I was going on interviews and I wasn't getting hired. And then when once we went into the shelter in place orders and you're working remotely, I'm sitting here freaking out. What am I going to do? And I remember I was praying and I was talking to God. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he flat out said to me, clear as day in my prayer time, I already told you what I wanted you to do. Hmm. And I said, oops. So then I was just like, okay, not my will, but thy will be done. And I I don't know how to explain it, but by, but other than saying that despite the pandemic, despite the economic downturn, despite all the chaos of everything, God has blessed me. He has blessed my steps. He has blessed the work of my hands. He has opened doors that I know I could not have opened on my own. He has expanded my territory. And I am doing things now that is way beyond I can ever ask, think, or imagine. And it didn't hit me until recently where I understood God has your back. If he tells you to do something, he wants you to do it. But just keep in mind that when you do it, he has something much greater in store for you. And all he's asking you for is yes, just obey and be obedient and submit to what he wants you to do. And for us control freaks, that's a hard word for us. Yes, yes. But when I realize that if I manage the controls, then I'm responsible for everything. And that's not my job. I am not God. So I'm like, okay, if you say you're in control of this, then show me, prove it to me. And every single time he has. So as I continue to go through not only this year, but my journey in my career, I'm, I've gotten better at just trusting him and letting go of my own need to control. Yeah. And with that in mind, I mean, you ran for a running for office and you said, this is not something I ever thought I'd be doing. Yep. So how did that happen? I mean, what happened? Ta- take us through that. <laughs> so I am a private person. I am not an open book. I'm accessible. And I don't like intrusions or an invasion of privacy. So the idea of serving in public office never crossed my mind. And I've been back in my hometown since my... I called off my last relationship and I started getting more connected and started paying more attention to local politics. 
And I was getting a little concerned, but I still was pretty passive. Then 2016 happened. And we know what happened with the last major election. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. I can't be passive anymore. And that's what started my transition into government affairs and advocacy. And then fast forward a few years later, I really saw what was going on in my hometown. I didn't like it. And for my district, my state senator first approached me and said, I think you should run for council. And I looked at him. I said, you must have lost your damn mind. And he's like, don't you want to run for office? You'd be perfect. I said, no. And I had been asked multiple times. But finally, like I said, this coming year in 2020, I was asked again. And I remember praying about it. And he said, I don't know how many times I got to tell you, this is what I want you to do. And I was just like, okay. And I never thought I would be one running for public office ever. And then two, how about running for office during a global pandemic? It has stretched me. It has completely pushed me out of my comfort zone. I'm doing things that I really do not enjoy, but I know it's part of the process. But I also know why I ran. I decided to run because I wanted to see people like me as a woman of color making decisions and having positions of power. I also wanted to see people who had the same life experiences as me making decisions and having a seat at the table. And I wasn't seeing that. And I think this is the general census that sense that we have throughout the country. I'm tired of seeing the same old people get reelected and not doing the work that they promised to do. And so instead of just complaining and not being part of the process, I said, let me do something about it. I thought it was going to be through some advocacy and doing um, grassroots outreach. I did not see myself as someone running for office. But here I am. I am a candidate for borough council and I will be on the general election ballot in November. That is awesome. And congratulations. Thank you. you. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Who is your political crush? And when I say crush, it means Who is that person who reflects the track record, the moral compass, and compassion that you appreciate and would want to mirror in your own journey? Well, that's easy. Stacey Abrams. I admire her so much. And especially watching how she handled herself with such grace and dignity after her defeat for gubernatorial election in 2018, I was so hurt. But even looking at the work that she's doing now with fair fight action, fair count, with it even helping other progressive candidates be elected to office, I realized that her calling and her efficacy and her platform was needed now in the public sector in terms of 
being a advocate and running a nonprofit and things like that, more so than the, the state of Georgia needed her as governor. Even though I do not like how the state of Georgia has handled the pandemic and the crisis, I also realized that she was needed more doing the work that she's doing now. And her story isn't linear, but learning about her, and I also have her two books, and she also is a romance novelist. And what? Yes, she is. Oh my gosh. I will send you some of her books. She is a she writes romance novels, and she's currently in the works of having one of her books turned into a TV show or a TV movie. What? Like, that's crazy. But imagine if she was, a, if she was elected the governor of Georgia. Would those things be happening for her? I don't know. It may have happened after she left office, but definitely not now because she can't do those things while she's in public office. But I also like the fact that in terms of her political beliefs or ideologies, she's what you would call a pragmatic progressive. And that's really what best describes my ideologies. Yes, I am a progressive. I'm also a pragmatist. And that's due to my own life experiences. It's due to me working in our state capital for New Jersey for a lobbying firm being a political intern, especially at an older age, I realized that, yes, it's good to have enthusiasm and passion, but sometimes that's just not how things work, especially when you're dealing with the government. And I've also realized that, especially now with our current political climate, it's not about zero sum. It's not about I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. People's lives are at stake. So let's work together to make sure that we do minimum harm and we really make sure that we take care of everybody, especially those in underrepresented groups. So that's why, for me, it's Stacey Abrams. It's a no-brainer. I'm such a huge fan of hers. And if I ever meet her in person, I think I would do the ugly girl cry with the snot and everything. (laughs) But... I really appreciate her because she is who she is. She knows who she is. She's authentic about herself. She makes no apologies for being who she is. And if you don't like her, that's fine. That's not going to stop her from doing the work that she's called to do. My name is Danielle Jones, and I am Disrupting Balance by being an imperfect but powerful advocate, embracing my authenticity and empowering others to do the same. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm in Disrupting Balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balanced Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.